everyone! Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista, and I am here with my cough drop addicted husband who has almost lost his voice, but we are still recording this podcast tonight because that's how dedicated he is. And on top of that, we're feeling all this extra pressure with our voices because I happen to listen to the Peculiar People podcast, which probably some of you are familiar with, the episode that Kirby Hayborn is on. It was kind of fascinating to get a look into his job as a book voice recorder. Is that how you'd which say I it? totally have a new favorite when I grow up job. Yeah, talk about an awesome job. Uh, but I mean, he get, he was pretty critical of voices and recording and it made me think, ah, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Hopefully you're not listening, Kirby Hayborn. (laughs) But you know what? Listen to that episode because it really was fascinating. And I think we can all learn something about how to project our voices, not even just podcast wannabeers like us. So, Hey, this is episode 18, uh, Mosiah 11 through 17. This is kind of part two of a part three series where we are in these kind of time travel chapters in Mosiah. So if you missed part one, go back to our last episode and listen there so that you can warm up for this one. But this is the most well-known part of the story. This is Abinadi and King Noah and their exchange with each other. We'll dive into that into a minute, but the first thing we wanted to talk about was our study tip for this episode, which is simply to begin with the end in mind. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. What is the purpose of scripture study? A lot of other things we do in the church have a clear purpose to find. We attend sacrament meaning to renew our covenants. We pray so that we can talk to God. We go to mutual so that we can serve. But ask yourself, do you know what the purpose of scripture study is? And maybe more personally, what would the purpose of your scripture study is? Um, If I were to define it for me, I would say the purpose of personal scripture study is to receive revelation, which by definition is communication from God to his children. So scriptures should help us do two things. Our scripture study should help us do two things. One, help us come to know and love God better. And two, help us come to him in our actions and our behaviors. So to begin your scripture study with the end in mind means you begin with two goals in mind. Number one, I'm seeking to come to know more about God or to come to love him more. Or, and, two, I'm seeking to know what God wants me to do. And I think the same could be said, again, this is one of those that you could flip very easily to teaching. How much easier is it to teach a lesson and prepare a lesson that you're teaching someone else if you begin with the end in mind and begin with that purpose and ask yourself, the last thing we studied in Gospel Doctrine that I'm thinking of is the story of Joseph. And why did God include this in the scriptures? Why do my students need to hear this? Begin with that end in mind, and I think it gives you that amazing goal of thinking, what was God trying to communicate to me and what was he trying to communicate to my students or to my family through these verses? Yeah. So look for what he's trying to teach you about himself that helps you to know and love him more and what he's trying to teach you about you so that you can act in more righteous and better ways. 
Okay, so diving into Mosiah chapter 11, I found on the floor of my classroom at the end of last year, I did a lesson where I printed off on cardstock a silhouette of the Savior, and as part of the study, students would write inside the silhouette characteristics that they were learning about the Savior. At the end of class, I was walking through the aisles, and I found one of those pieces of cardstock left on the ground, uh, face down, and I picked it up and flipped it over, and inside the silhouette was just written, Are you real? And I took that cardstock and put it up in my office because I thought this is what's at the heart of students studying the scriptures. They want to know if God is real because that changes everything for them. Well, in Mosiah chapter 11, King Noah takes over as king after Zenith, his father. And the first couple of verses, Mormon is in, <laughs> doesn't waste any time pointing out that King Noah does not live like Zenith did. He is not your traditional Nephite king. He's gluttonous. He's a wine-bipper. He makes his people work, and he's lazy. I think I said this last episode, but I always have the image of Jabba the Hutt in my mind when I think of King Noah. And so, of course, Abinadi the prophet comes onto the scene and starts to preach repentance. And in, the, uh, in verse 27, they arrest him and bring him in front of the king, and they ask Abinadi, or King Noah asks Abinadi, these two questions. Verse 27, when King Noah had heard of the words which Abinadi had spoken unto the people, he was also wroth. And he said, question one, who is Abinadi that I and my people should be judged of him? Or question two, who is the Lord that should bring upon my people such great affliction? What we want to study today is the answer to those two questions. Those questions are so applicable. Even my my seven-year-old asked that question a lot in his prayers, which kind of surprised us at first. Mm. But at the same time, it inspires me so much. He asked a lot, help us to know who you are. Help, help us, us to know, to know that, you're, know real. that you're real. Mm -hmm. And don't we all need to know that? Yeah. And I think we all need to be reminded of it over and over again. And the same same with the question of who am I? Am I really, do I really matter? Am I really a child of God? Um, so we're going to answer that question, of course, not just for Abinadi and Noah, but for us. Uh, before we do, I wanted to point this out, though. Keep in mind that this challenge comes at Abinadi from his fellow Nephites. Uh, and as I was thinking about that, I thought that story also seems very familiar, where a man or a woman sets out to do good or be good or teach good, maybe in new and exciting and inspiring ways. And there's almost an immediate pushback or an immediate challenge from the people that should be closest because you're now doing something different than your peers. Your peers want to drag you back. I once heard the story about uh, people crabbing on the beach. And if you find crabs on the beach and you put them in a bucket, you don't have to put the lid on the bucket because the crabs will never be able to climb out because the crab underneath the crab that's climbing out will reach up, grab him, pull him down, climb over him, and then try and climb out on his own. Aww. They never let each other out of the Poor bucket. Crabs. <laughs> but doesn't that define us sometimes when you sit out in the world and say, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to be better or teach something better. Mm -hmm. There's almost an immediate counter push 
um, either directly targeted at you or through the adversary indirectly targeting you through media or social media or whatnot to try and discourage you from doing that thing. So keep in mind that if you find yourself like Abinadi, um, that's a good thing. So let's start actually with question, the second question. Who is the Lord? And before we talk about who he is, let's talk about how we get to know him. And Abinadi talks about this a few times in these verses. And I find it, I found it very interesting, the phrase that came up quite often, I'd say at least five times in these, in these chapters. Um, he says, Therefore they harden their hearts against the words of Abinadi. In chapter 12, verse 1, For they have hardened their hearts against my words. They don't know who he is because they have hardened their hearts. And maybe we'll just end with one more verse of that. In Mosiah chapter 12, verse 27, Ye have not applied your hearts to understanding, therefore ye have not been wise. So what does that mean then? Like, how do you know if you've applied your heart to understanding or if, I think it's in the chapter 13, verse 11, when he says, the commandments aren't written in your hearts. How do you know if it's written on your hearts or if you've applied your heart to understanding? Well, I think it's important first to talk about or to understand that we get to know him when our hearts are softened and when we're prepared to receive him, right? Um, earlier this week, actually, we were talking about one of my personal favorite scripture stories is the road to Emmaus. And Zach commented that he had learned that when the men recognize the Savior is when it said he, and he opened the scriptures unto them, and then they knew that it was that it was Jesus that they had said. And then the line, did not our hearts burn within us? And they recognize that through the scriptures. And Abinadi teaches that, um, I would say, throughout these verses. Um, he quotes Isaiah, first of all. Hmm. He, in one whole chapter of Isaiah, and then a few other verses throughout. And then he also recites the commandments. So, Abinadi knows who God is because he studied the scriptures. We're opening up the scriptures to understand who God is. And I'd say that's one of the first steps. And we address the other one, maybe in the, the teaching tip of like the prayer and receiving personal revelation. But that mm -hmm. comes as we are, as we are searching who God is through the scriptures and how he communicates with us and through prayer. You know, it makes me think the heart is the seat of passions of desires and of motivations. And that's quite different from the mind, which is the seat of comprehension, intelligence, uh, and intellect. And so to understand something with the mind would be, I get it, I understand it, I comprehend it, it makes sense to me, I can recite it, I can tell you where it is in the scriptures, I can give a talk about it. That's understanding in the mind. But to understand in the heart means I'm passionate about it, I feel something about it, and I want to do something about it. And so 
those disciples on the way to Emmaus, they don't recognize the Savior in their mind. They don't see him. They don't recognize his characteristics. Which you would think would be the obvious thing, right? right? How did they not notice it was exactly, him? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it was their hearts burning after they're with him. They feel this desire, this overwhelming compulsion to go and do. And they recognize, wait a minute, the last time we felt this powerful was when we were with the Savior did not our hearts burn within us while he walked with us, by the way. So I, I like that story a lot. And I have to bring it back to Abinadi one more time here, because that's exactly what he does. He talks about the scriptures, and then what does he spend the next, the end, the last few chapters of his time on earth doing? He's testifying of who the Savior is, mm-hmm. because he has exactly what you were talking about. He has that passion in his heart. His desires and motivation are to bear witness. And if you want to know who the Lord is, read these chapters in Mosiah 15, 16, and 17, when he is bearing witness of who the Savior is yeah. and who the Savior is to him. In fact, that's the point that I wanted to make. Once we understand how we come to know the Lord now we can dive into what it is that Abinadi actually teaches about the Lord. And you mentioned this before, but he quotes Isaiah chapter 53, which he will be killed for. He is tried and found guilty by this pioneer, exiled Nephite court of the sin of blasphemy. And the reason he's accused of blasphemy is because he says in chapter 14, quoting Abinadi, or quoting Isaiah, that the Lord is the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about. Up to this point, the way that that uh, the traditional Jewish view of Isaiah 53 is this is symbolic of us as a nation. We are the, the, the suffering servants. But that's not how Abinadi used it. Abinadi saw this as clearly describing the Savior. Those famous verses that we know, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him smitten, stricken of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. This is the Lord. You want to know who he is? He's the God that's going to condescend and take upon him this grief and this sorrow and this affliction. Now, that's a pretty well-known part of the Abinadi story. The part that I like, though, is in chapter 15, Abinadi gives an interesting detail about the Lord that I think confuses us, and it shouldn't, because this is the key to unlocking the quote at Isaiah chapter 53. So this is chapter 15. Abinadi says, I would that you should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. And because he dwelleth in the flesh, he shall be called the Son of God. We get that. Having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son. And then verse 3, the Father, because he was conceived by the power of God, and the Son, because of the flesh, thus becoming the Father and the Son. And this confuses Mormons all the time. Because, wait a minute, I thought the Father and the Son were separate people. How is Jesus both the Father and the Son? We get that he's the Son. To become a father, you have to beget children. You have to have children. You have to father children. 
and Jesus Christ fathered us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is the father of our salvation. He is the author of our transformation from mortality to immortality, from incorruption or from corruption to incorruption. And once you understand that, then what Abinadi's quoting and what he's teaching becomes beautiful. Listen to this. This is back in Isaiah, or Mosiah 14, quoting Isaiah 53, verse 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, meaning bruise the Savior. He, the Father, God, hath put on him, the Savior, to grief. And then this part. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Abinadi is going to quote that exact thing in chapter 10, or in chapter 15, verse 10. And now I say unto you, who shall declare his generation? Behold, I say unto you that when his soul has been made an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. What is it that Abinadi wants these people to know about God? He wants them to know that the consuming thing of the Savior's life was us. The thing he cared most about was us. So much so that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was about to give up, the thing that motivated him was a vision of us. He saw his seed in the garden. And as he suffered the atonement, and it was that vision of us and the overwhelming feeling of love it brought to him that made him say, Nevertheless, Father, thy will be done. I think that that leads us beautifully into the next question of who are you? Because who are we? We are someone that Christ suffered for, that Christ thought of as he was in the garden and as he was suffering for us. So the next question we're going to talk about is who are we? Who are you? And I'm going to start with something that's maybe a little irreverent, but nonetheless, I could not help but make that connection as we recently watched the latest Star Wars the latest Star Wars movie. And it's I want you to picture the scene between Kylo Ren and Rey when he is trying to get her to come to his side. Wait, spoiler alert. If you haven't I mean you should have seen it. If you haven't seen it yet, you're not American, but so but if you <laughs> haven't seen it yet and you don't want the spoiler, then fast forward Oh yeah, don't 30 listen. Seconds. I was probably the last person to watch the movie, so it's <laughs> fine. But I want you to picture this scene. He's trying to get her to come over. And what, does, what tactic does he use? He uses the same tactic that every person from a dark side uses. And that is, who are you? You're nobody. And he also ruined, is another spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. For a whole movie and a half to find out who her parents are. And he... Your parents are nobody. Your parents are nothing, and you are nothing. He wants her to see and doubt herself and feel like she's nobody because nobody loves her and she is a nobody. So let's talk about chapter 12, about Abinadi. How does Abinadi know who he is? Because the Lord tells him. In in chapter 12, verse 1, Abinadi says, Thus the Lord commanded me, saying, Abinadi, go and prophesy unto this my people, for they have hardened their hearts against my words. They have repented not of their evil doings. This teaches something really powerful. The Lord knows Abinadi. He calls him by his name. And then what does he do? He gives him a work to do. He gives him an assignment. And in that same vein, we can liken that to ourselves. 
God knows who we are. Who are we? We are a ch- we are a child of God that Jesus sacrificed himself for and that God knows us by our names and he has a work for each of us to do. And I like in verse 19 you pointed this out to me but because he knows that. Oh yeah, this other side. He's when they start to question him and challenge him, he's able to withstand their questioning with boldness. Even to the point in the next chapter when they try and arrest him and he shocks them, you can't touch me because I haven't yet answered your questions about who the Lord is and who I am. And that power comes because he knows who he is and that he's on a mission from God. Mm -hmm. What I liked a lot was at the end of the story in Mosiah 17, I noticed this just the other day when I'd read this. I'd never seen this before. There are quite a few similarities between what Abinadi goes through and what the Savior went through. This is chapter 17, verse 9. And now Abinadi said unto him, I will not recall the words which I have spoken unto you concerning this people, for they are true. And that you may know of their surety, I have suffered myself that I have fallen into your hands. And I never caught that line before. Abinadi was captured, but he allowed himself to be captured and eventually allows himself to be killed so that his words have that lasting testimony. Verse 10, I will suffer even until death, and I will not recall my words, and they shall stand as a testimony against you. He's captured by a king who questions him, challenges him, and according to Abinadi, he has the power to release himself but suffers or allows himself to remain captured and allows himself to be killed so that his testimony so that his word is in force this might be out on a limb this might just be book of horton but i kind of think that one of the purposes of abinadi quoting isaiah is because he identified with the suffering servant he identified with the savior In other words, I think Abinadi drew strength from the fact that he, like the Savior, would not back down. That he, like the Savior, was turning the other cheek. And that he, like the Savior, would give his life for his word. And so you want to know who Abinadi is? He is a person that loves God and will do anything to emulate his Savior, even if it requires his life. You know, this episode, as we have studied, has just reminded me of my mission. Our mission. Okay. Little known fact. Cliffhanger. We'll tell you about that next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, um, that I just came away from serving in a country in eastern Germany where I had seen so many people who didn't know who they were because they didn't know who God was. And the power of the teaching that I am a child of God And how important that is for us to understand in order for us to understand who we are. I like this verse in Moroni 7, verse 48. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that you may be filled with this love which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that you may become the sons of God. And then I love this line, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified even as he is pure. If we were to summarize 
who is the Lord? The Lord is someone that is completely focused on you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he saw his seed. He saw you. Who are you? Well, believe it or not, you are someone that is completely focused on the Savior. Tell yourself that. Believe that you love God and that the biggest desire of your heart is that you, like him, can not back down, that you, like him, will turn the other cheek, and that you, like him, will give your life for the things that you believe in. And if you can believe that about him and that about you, you, like Abinadi, can change the rest of the world. And that God loves you. Mm -hmm. He loves us so much. And we are grateful for the chance to open up scriptures with you because we love scriptures because they teach of God. And thank you for listening. I think we reminded you last episode, but we have started an Instagram page to keep you updated and share some additional thoughts and insights into the podcast. Um, and we would love you to be there just so we can maybe connect with you a little more, hear your thoughts or your questions and share our wedding picture. Oh, after. really? <laughs> we were doing that. But anyway, find us there. We're grateful that you're here listening. So thanks for being here. See you next episode. <laughs>